Listener Production. Hello, listeners, and welcome back for another special midweek bonus treat in your feed. You're what, welcome. <laughs> what are we back with this week, Jacob? We had such a special treat this week. We got the chance to meet the ex-mayor of Gander, Newfoundland, Mr. Mm. Claude Elliott, who is out here in Australia um, to celebrate the return of the fabulous musical Come From Away to Sydney. And do you want to explain, Lindsay, how we ended up being offered the chance to interview Claude while he was here? It was a bit of happenstance. So we recorded an episode a couple of months ago with Michelle from Shameless mm-hmm. around, uh, it was just around September 11, the episode you, you presented, Jacob, was Operation Yellow Bird? Ribbon. Yellow mm. Ribbon, about the story behind the musical Come From Away, which mm. was when uh, planes, 38 planes, were grounded in the town of Gander in Newfoundland with 7,000 people um, when the US airspace was closed after September 11 Mm. and just the most beautiful story of how this town welcomed the 7,000 plain people over Mm. the course of a few days. And that was one of our most popular episodes that we have ever recorded, Mm. one of the episodes that we've had the biggest response from, Mm. from you guys saying that you love the story, you're going to watch it on Apple TV, you're going to try and see the musical in person. Mm And then just the stars aligned in our favour <laughs> when Come From Away has come back to Sydney. It's just opened for its last run here and Claude was in town. Mm-hmm. I got wind through the grapevine that he was available for interviews and mm-hmm. I thought, might as well, give it a shot. And, yeah, he came on the podcast this week and we went and saw the show. So it was a beautiful full circle moment. Yeah, it was terrific. Um, and the folks from Come From Away were just so thrilled to have so many gistners mm-hmm. saying specifically, I'm coming to see the show because I listened to that episode of Just The Gist. So um, we love that you've all been so vocal in your appreciation and also in making the plans to go and mm-hmm. see the show, which we can confirm is still fantastic because we got it the is. chance to go and see it again last night. Um, the Sydney cast are wonderful. After they're done in Sydney, they're heading off to a few other spots, Newcastle, mm-hmm. Adelaide, Perth. Canberra, New Zealand next year. Round and round and round they go. So, yeah, make sure you get the opportunity to go and see it. Um, like we said last time, even if you have to fly into state, I think you'll find that it really truly is worth it. Absolutely, and I'm so jealous when I was sitting in the audience last night of everyone who was seeing it for the first time Mm. and anyone who was also seeing it without much understanding of the story. Like when I first saw it, when it was in Sydney last year, Mm. I went in with kind of a vague understanding of the Come From Away story, Mm. but I had really no idea Mm. about any of it. And since listening to your story and learning all the details about what actually went on Mm. and that all of it is actually true, Mm. having that knowledge made the experience so much more special, but mm-hmm. I do miss that kind of like yeah. joy and wonder of seeing something so special for the first time. Yeah, totally with you there. And P.S., when we were at the show, we were actually greeted yes. by some <laughs> gistners who came up to us to tell us that they were there because of us. They'd listened to the episode and then they'd scored themselves a ticket. So to those of you we got to meet last night, hello mm-hmm. and thank you for coming up and saying hi. It was so nice to meet you. And if you do go and see the show, whether it's this run in Sydney or Newcastle, Adelaide, Perth, Canberra, New Zealand, uh, do get in touch and say and let us know if you are going to see the show and what you thought of it. 
Please enjoy this conversation with Claude. And then once that's done, we're going to pop the Operation Yellow Ribbon episode with Michelle Andrews on in the end for any of you who might have missed it. This is very, very, very exciting for me and for Lindsay, Claude. Claude Elliott, Mr. Mayor, welcome to Just the Gist. We are so, so thrilled to get the chance to meet you. You're someone that we already feel such a strong connection to, and I'm sure so many of our Gistners do as well. So thank you so much for making the time. Well, it's my pleasure. My pleasure to be here with you. Here we are in Sydney. You couldn't be further away from home. You are the come from away today, well and truly. Um, You have come to celebrate the return of Come From Away, one of our favourite musicals, to beautiful Sydney. And that musical is a production in which you are one of the main characters. And we'll get into talking about all of that, of course, but just to kick things off, we usually ask our guests to give us just the gist of who you are and what you do. Well, as, as you said, my name is Claude Elliott. I'm from the town of Gander, Newfoundland. There's a, a community, a province on as far east as you can get in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've lived there for 40, 47 years mm-hmm. in Gander. Uh, I got involved in municipal politics uh, in 1990. I officially became mayor in 96 when the original mayor left and went into provincial politics. Mm-hmm. So I was there for a year in the general election. I got elected in 97, and then I got elected every four years until 2017 uh-huh. when I decide to retire. Uh-huh. Well, you're very active in your retirement. They've got you flying all around the world. Yeah, I'm not sure it's retirement, but it's different. (laughs) (laughs) Retired from politics, at least. Um, We'll get into talking a little bit more about your career a little bit later on. Mm -hmm. Um, But first off, I would really love to get your take on Gander and why so many of us around the world see it as such a special Location and such a special community and such a special culture. Gander uh, is a is a community. Uh, it was in two thousand one ninety three hundred people. Mm-hmm. Today it's over thirteen thousand. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, we're centered in the central look part of the island. Mm-hmm. We don't have a high volume of traffic. Uh-huh. You know that. Uh, impede you from getting getting to work. Mm-hmm. We don't have to leave like a hour early mm-hmm. or nothing. So it's a pretty laid-back community. The people are, as we would say in Newfoundland, the salt of the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're always there to help people mm-hmm. in need, uh, regardless if it's your neighbor, it's your family member, or a complete stranger. Uh, it's just genuine, good-hearted people that live there and uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a community that you can be really proud of. Yeah, and that was certainly put on display mm-hmm. to the world back in 2001 um, and people are still discovering mm-hmm. what a special culture mm-hmm. and sense of community there is in Gander. Yeah. Do you have any theories about how that culture formed over time? I think it, it, we, I can go back into my grandfather's day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the island of Newfoundland is a, it's an island out in the Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. It's surrounded by sea. It's uh, rugged. It's harsh weather at times. Mm-hmm. Especially in my younger days as a kid growing up, I didn't grow up in Gander, so I grew up on one of the fishing communities. Mm-hmm. And it was a survival uh, and 
they survived back in the 1930s and 40s, even up to probably early 50s, by helping each other. Mm. So if you were a fisherman and I was a farmer, mm -hmm. the farmer made sure that I had vegetables. The fisherman made sure the farmer had fish. Uh -huh. So you looked after people in your community. Mm. And that was passed down from generation to generation. Now, Today, things are different. We don't have to give people vegetables. Everybody now can more or less access everything. But still, that generosity and the willing to help people is still there. Mm. It's still ingrained into people. Yeah. Um, so I hope the culture does stay alive. And I also really hope that your own little dialect <laughs> survives the next few centuries as well. Newfinese. Is that what you call it? <laughs> yeah, we call it Newfinese. Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, I think we're losing, you know, the younger generation coming through the school system now is not going to have the same dialect that I've got. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, we grew up, uh, we were, the, the way we speak is the way we were thought because mm. our teachers spoke the same mm -hmm. same thing. Mm. Whereas today that the teachers are, uh, I, I shouldn't say bitter trained, but they are, they're using the English language proper. Okay. And but Newfoundland has a has a strong Irish connection, mm. and we have our own sayings. We have our own. Uh, if you get three or four Newfoundlanders talking, mm. you wouldn't understand anything we're saying. <laughs> we over your head. We were the only ones to know because the way we express ourselves. Mm. Uh, we have our own dictionary. Um, yes, I've seen. Yeah, we got, and I picked up some examples yeah, um, that know, I found online that were some of my favorites yeah, from that dictionary. And, and we even got our own time zone. Uh, mm. You know, we got a half an hour yeah. more than anybody else. But, uh, you know, place. everybody there just enjoys life. And, mm. you know, and it's it's a great place to live. Mm. So a couple of things I picked up out of the dictionary that you might be able to tell us which part of Newfoundland these are from, or you could tell me whether they're made up. Right. Um, I won't do the accent, don't worry. No. Um, I'll put the old slut on it. Yeah. What does that mean? That's, that means you're out, out to your cottage and you're putting the kettle on to get a cup of tea. <laughs> the old slut. Yeah, it's called a slut. <laughs> so you got to be careful how you use that one. Uh huh. Yeah. And, and so bet. Newfoundlanders would know exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, when you, so it's a kettle, mm -hmm. and they put on and get a cup of tea. Yeah, that's what it means. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to use that in my real life. Um, I'm also going to use shagget. Oh yes. Which means yeah, that means you've done something wrong, and you say ah, shag it. Forget I, I, about it. Forget about it. You know, go on. Let yeah. it go. Yeah. <laughs> and put the side back in her. Oh, yeah, that means it's uh, you open the door or something and it was cold, the wind come in, you'd say, but he's put the side back in her, you know, mm -hmm. to keep the, basically keep the wind out. Uh -huh. And that's what it was, yeah. Now, let's talk about some of your unique customs in Newfoundland as well. We didn't cover this in our episode, but right. it is one of the funnest scenes in the Come From Away musical. Can you please describe screeching in? <laughs> well, screech is a bad Jamaican rum. It's been a tradition uh, to be, uh, I guess it's been on the go probably for 50 or 60 years in, mm -hmm. in Newfoundland, to become a honorary Newfoundlander. So if you came to Newfoundland, mm -hmm. we would make you an honorary Newfoundlander and we would get you what we call screeched in. Mm -hmm. And there's a ceremony mm -hmm. and there's things you got to eat. Mm -hmm. And at the end, you get to kiss, you have to kiss a codfish. <laughs> <laughs> and when you get, once you kiss the codfish, we give you this shot of rum, mm -hmm. Newfoundland Screech. Uh -huh. And that takes the bad taste out of your mouth from kissing the cod. 
Got it. Okay. Right. And you have to eat hard bread. Uh-huh. You have to eat bologna. Mm-hmm. You have to eat Capelin. Mm-hmm. You have to eat Vienna sausage. Mm-hmm. Nothing to hurt you. It's all traditional Newfoundland foods. Uh-huh. But a lot of people find it hard to eat some of it. Uh-huh. And then you get your certificate saying that you're an honorary Newfoundlander, mm-hmm. and you get a little wallet-sized one to put in your wallet. Mm-hmm. But you have to kiss the fish. Got to kiss. If you don't kiss the fish, you're not an honorary Newfoundlander. Okay. And this has been going on for decades. For a long, long time. Yeah. Now, in the meantime, we would never do it. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the outsiders. Just for the outsiders. <laughs> All right, so let's get to the events of September 11th, 2001. Famously, your town took in 38 planes full of people from all around the world, thousands of them. Can you tell us where you were, what you were doing when you found out about the attacks in New York City and then found out about the planes that were headed your way? Well, that morning... uh we were in the midst of a municipal election. Mm-hmm. So we were campaigning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that morning... As usually every morning, I end up going to Tim Horton's coffee shop. Mm -hmm. And you have coffee with your friends and you have a chat. And then by 10.30, I'd leave and go and knock on a few doors and go a bit of doing the campaigning. Mm -hmm. But while we were there having coffee, someone came in and said, they just heard there was a plane that crashed in New York. And Mm -hmm. that's all we heard. Mm -hmm. And I guess our first instinct was, wow, wow. we're too. Mm-hmm. How big a plane was it? And you could think about casualties and that. And then after a little while, someone came in and said, the second one crashed, but they both crashed into the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what you were thinking, the massive destruction. Anyway, I left and went home mm-hmm. and went to my house and turned on my TV. And that's when I seen everything that everybody else mm-hmm. was seeing. Uh, little did I know at that time the role that Gander would be playing. Mm-hmm. Gander is the crossroads of the world by here. Mm. Uh, once planes leave Europe in the morning, once they get over halfway across, the nearest airport is Gander. Mm-hmm. So we've had a lot, like we get a lot of medical emergencies, whether we get diversions mm-hmm. and that. So not as much now as it was, say, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But then... We were told, we got a call saying that the U.S. was shutting down its airspace mm-hmm. and Canada had agreed to take all the planes that was mm-hmm. in the sky. Very generously. Yeah. And so they were told to land at the nearest airport. Mm-hmm. So if you were nearer to Toronto, you landed in Toronto. Mm-hmm. You were nearer to Gander, you landed in Gander. Mm-hmm. You were nearer to St. John's in Newfoundland, you mm-hmm. landed there. Mm-hmm. So I would think that almost every airport in Canada had planes. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened? We were told to expect about 200 aircraft to land in Gander. Oh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, but the ones that left Europe in the morning mm-hmm. that wasn't over halfway across mm-hmm. was turned back. Uh-huh. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we ended up with 38 and close to 7,000. The numbers might be 66, 67. On, mm-hmm. We always say 7,000 people, yeah. but, you know. When in doubt, round up. Yeah. And so... When the plane started landing, all within probably an hour and a half, they were all on, on, on the ground. We were sort of operating like hour by hour because mm-hmm. they were only going to be there long enough for the U.S. to figure out how widespread this terrorist attack was. And then everybody was going to be back in the skies mm-hmm. and go. 
So we were basically operating hour by hour. Mm. At 2 o'clock, you heard one thing. At 3, you heard something else. Mm -hmm. But as the day wore on, we realized those planes weren't leaving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we could just tell by the messages we were getting. So we had, you know, almost 7,000 people at the airport sitting aboard planes. Mm. We have 500 hotel rooms. Mm -hmm. So we knew we had, logistically, we weren't mm -hmm. going to put everybody in hotels. Mm -hmm. So as the mayor, I declared a state of emergency. Mm -hmm. And by declaring a state of emergency, it gave us access to everything, that which means the hotel rooms, mm -hmm. because we wanted to keep that for the, the pilots and the crew mm -hmm. to make sure they were well rested. Mm -hmm. So we started preparing for the worst-case scenario. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to make sure that if those people did come off the planes, we wanted to be over-prepared, not under-prepared. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it that happened was because of the length of time that people stayed aboard the planes gave us the opportunity to get ready for them. Mm -hmm. uh, the last plane people that came off was sitting on the tarmac for 30, 28 hours. Mm -hmm. And... And you imagine 28 hours sitting on, on a tarmac. Culture. Now, someone said to me yesterday, well, you spent 15 hours on a plane yeah. from Vancouver to, mm. uh, to Sydney. But on a plane that's flying, yeah. it's much different than a plane that's parked. Absolutely. You know, it's different. Yeah. So anyway, you know, so we wanted to make sure that then we heard they were running out of food. Mm. I mean, and water, everything on the planes. So... We contacted the Salvation Army mm -hmm. and the Red Cross mm -hmm. and said, can we get some volunteers to go to the airport? Mm -hmm. uh, we want to make up some lunch boxes." Mm -hmm. uh, so they got three or 400 people, went to the airport. We trucked food to the airport. And before the first person came off the plane, those volunteers had made 7,000 lunch boxes. <laughs> so as each person came off the plane, they were presented with a lunchbox, which mm. consisted of a juice, mm. a fruit, a sandwich, and a water. Wow. And those people were just amazed. that They couldn't believe it. You know, they said, I guess as one person said, obviously, he said the community didn't sleep, mm. you know. Yeah. Because a lot of people had no idea where they were. Mm. I mean, we had people from 95 countries. We had people never heard of Canada, mm. so you can imagine they didn't know much about Gander, mm. you know. So, but uh, it was a community effort, yep. uh, and the greatest asset you'll have in your community is your people. Mm. And when you got your people, there's no task mm. too too big that can't be undertaken. Mm. It says a lot for your leadership, though, that you were able to help coordinate all of those people who were so willing to help, yeah. but just needed direction That's right. over where you, you know, to spend we, their time. You know, uh, as I told uh, in New York on opening night, that the lady that made the pot of soup, mm -hmm. the lady that made the tray of sandwiches, mm -hmm. that job was just as important as mine. Yeah. We all had a role to do. Mm -hmm. I did what I had to do. And they did what they had to do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, uh, as the mayor, and you were responsible for those 7,000 people. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure they're looked after. You're not not mistreated. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, try to meet everybody's needs to the best of your ability. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and hey, we did it. And uh, we had, a, even though it was a tragedy, mm -hmm. There was a lot of good came out of that tragedy and, you know, friendships for life and that. So, uh, and today, 
uh, this music always is, is telling that story. Yeah, really, really is magical. And there are just so many examples oh. of the kindness people experienced while they were being looked after by you. All 7,000 of those people left so grateful yeah. um, for the generosity mm. they experienced. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like over the course of those three days, three to five days you had all these guests well, in town? What was I, it like for you? Yeah, it was, uh, I guess we had, probably the five most beautiful days mm-hmm. that we ever had mm-hmm. for September month mm-hmm. in Newfoundland. And people could get outdoors. People mm-hmm. could go for walks. People could do, I mean, we gave people our vehicles to go for a drive. You know, we, we, we would take people to our homes and say, here, if you want a shower, here's a shower. Here's a bed. If you want to go and have a nap, uh, you know, if you want, here's the kettle. If you want a cup of tea, here's where the refrigerator is. You want to take food. I've got to go back to work, so it's all yours. Mm. And uh, first, they didn't know how to take that. Yeah. It is, uh, it's disarming if it's yeah, not because, the sort of culture you've experienced. Yeah, they, and that's right. They've never experienced it. And, mm. and some people said, I wonder, are they hoping for us to sleep and steal our wallets? Yeah. Or, or, you know, and, and I understand that. Mm. I mean, if I had landed in a strange place and people offered me, deep down you'd be thinking, is this genuine or is what's behind it? Mm. So it took them a day or so to gain our trust. Mm-hmm. And when they did, I mean, they became like family. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but a, a funny story was uh, uh, I got a call one night from a radio station in Detroit. Uh-huh. And, the, and the, you know, the guy was saying, we understand, Mr. Mayor, that you gave people your vehicles to drive, complete strangers. Mm. Yes, sir, we did. Mm. He said, weren't you scared they were going to steal your vehicles? Mm. I said, not really, sir. We live on a highland. You know, it's a, <laughs> a little bit hard to get off with it, right? Can't get you know, too far. So, Trying to understand our culture, yeah. trying to understand we're, we're, was a bit difficult. It's not like you could get aboard your car and drive for 5,000 miles. Mm. You had to take a ferry. You had to get off of that mm-hmm. island. So, I mean, you weren't going to, they weren't there to steal our vehicles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, you mentioned, you know, I think I'm paraphrasing you here, sure. um, probably quite sloppily, but you said, no. On the Tuesday, we welcomed 7,000 strangers. By Wednesday, we had 7,000 new friends. And then when they left, we said goodbye to 7,000 family members. Mm-hmm. But of course, as we now know, it wasn't really goodbye. You've maintained these lifelong friendships with people over the years. Yeah. <laughs> and I know a lot of people have come back to visit Gander for various reasons. Did anyone end up relocating to Gander? Not to my knowledge. Uh-huh. No, 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 Nobody has. Uh, to my knowledge, but you're right because when they left, we were never going to see them no more. Mm. So that's why I said we've lost 7,000 family members. Mm. Little did we know yeah. that the, the friendships that was made and those people still want to keep coming back and say thank you. Yeah. Now, we get a lot of tourists, a lot of people who was never there mm. want to come up and see if this is real and want to meet the people. Mm. And, you know, so it's... Uh, it, yeah. kindness. Yeah. Oh, I tell you, it's been crazy. Mm. Tourism is really high. Yeah. Uh, uh, I know COVID knocked it down for a couple of years, mm. but this past summer uh, we had over 200 bus tours go through Gander, mm-hmm. and that's just bus tours. That's mm. not counting people that flew in and drove in. Mm-hmm. It, it, the island was just full of, of tours, mm-hmm. and it's probably only going to increase. 
the more this play is shown, mm. uh, the more tourists we're going to get. Yeah, for sure. Mm. And you see that as a positive? Oh, absolutely. Right. You know, there's no question. I mean, is what we need. And, uh, you know, I, I think most everybody depends on a tourist as part of their livelihood. Mm. Uh, I'm sure tourists is big here mm. from what I've been seeing, you know, then around the waterfront and that. And 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 the businesses depends on it. Yeah. You know, so, hey, the more the merrier. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, obviously a big thing that's helped can keep all you... Gander folk and the plain people connected has been this musical, um, which has touched so many people. Uh, it debuted five-ish years ago yeah. now, 2017, yeah. in Gander yes. for the first time, um, which meant that, you know, that brought some of the plain people back to you. Yes. And, of course, um, you and your friends got to meet the people who were going to be playing you yeah. in the musical. Really special experience. Over the course of the five years since then, how many times have you seen Come From Away? I have, I have seen Come From Away 93 times so far. <laughs> and I have seen it almost everywhere it's played. Uh-huh. You know, we, we were in Toronto for the opening. Mm-hmm. We were in New York for the opening. Mm-hmm. We were in London, England for the opening. Mm-hmm. We were in Melbourne for the opening. Mm-hmm. And now I'm here in Sydney for the opening. Uh-huh. And plus other places. I've been to Detroit. I've been to Boston. Mm-hmm. I've been to Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in Houston, Texas, you know, where the North American tour has yeah. been. So it's just been, it's, it's been absolutely crazy. Never did I think that I'd ever be a character <laughs> on a play on Broadway. <laughs> I bet, <laughs> You know, yeah. but... Uh, to me, it's the story is what's important. The story is incredible. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I get asked a question, the people that's playing you, have they got your language? Do they mm. get your dialect? That's irrelevant. That's not mm. that important. Mm. But when you see the people crying yeah. and the people coming up to you after and say, I wish the, most of the world were like you people, mm. that's what it's about. Yeah. It's not about... How I don't expect someone to talk like me. I mean, I certainly couldn't come over here and talk like they talk here, so I wouldn't expect that. So, but it's the story that's important, and that's yeah. that's what we got to concentrate on. Yeah. Now, the Mayor Claude character is mm-hmm. a very major part of the mm-hmm. show. How much mm-hmm. input did you have in your depiction? Uh, I n- not a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that they, uh, David and Irene, and when they were. And then junkyard dogs in New York putting the cast together. They had the people who they thought within the the musical system mm-hmm. who could uh, play the part. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I look at the originals in New York. It was Joel Hatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in London, it was Clive was the first guy. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I think London. Clive was the closest to the Newfoundland accent uh-huh. is anybody. Okay. And and I guess that, well, we have Irish background. Our fam- forefathers came from, mm-hmm. from Ireland. So, you know, it was uh, there. But, uh, yeah, it, it's they don't try. I think if you try too hard, you'll mess it up. Mm-hmm. So they just go about it. But they studied me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they watch, they watch videos and... Mm-hmm. You know, me talking and try to, you know, to do it. But uh, I told him it's, uh, as my daughter said, she said, Dad, nobody can play you. So uh-huh. I said, well, it's not about me. It's, mm-hmm. it's about, about the story. But what was interesting in New York, uh, myself and Joel did a television interview. Mm-hmm. 
And the question was asked to Joel, what was it like to play a character mm. that's sitting in the audience watching you? Yeah. Well, he said something very interesting that I didn't, didn't know. Mm. He said he's been in theater for 30 years. Mm. It's the first time he ever played a living character. Yeah. It's either been fictional mm. or someone who had been deceased. Mm. So he said, I would say it was more weirder for me yeah. knowing that he was in the audience than what it was for me listening to him. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, it's a, it's a story that needs to be told, and uh, we're glad that we're part of it. Yeah. Do you have a favorite song from the show? Oh no, they're all they're all my favorites. And you know, Newfoundland song. I like uh, I like, you know, at the beginning, Welcome to the Rock. Yes. Know, when they do the rock. And we understand that, you know, that's very popular. And yeah. you know, the music at the end, you know, oh yeah, that's uh, Oh, the finale? Yeah, yeah. I weep every time. I cannot I listen to it while I'm driving. I, I it's dangerous. Yeah, I know. And I'm sure at some point they're going to turn this into a Hollywood adaptation. And I know that you've tapped George Clooney on the shoulder <laughs> to play you. Are there any other actors or performers that you'd be happy to entertain the notion of playing you? Well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think George Clooney would do a good job. Mm. Uh, but I guess if we want to go with youth and beauty, I'd have to go with Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> I could see him pulling that off. Yeah, 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 probably. But uh, I, I think that, you know, I think George Clooney, I, I honestly believe that he could do a good job because yeah. I saw him in the, um, what was the movie where he was lost, uh, fishing, oh, he was out of Boston. Oh, what was it? It's me. The, and, perfect, oh, the perfect Storm. storm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And I saw him, and he was, you know, the fishing captain and that. Mm-hmm. And I think that George could do. He's got the chops. I, I think so. But if, you know, if if a movie is ever made, I guess they'll know the characters to pick. So mm-hmm. hopefully, it, hopefully it will go into a movie someday. Hopefully that, you know, more and more people can see it. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate sometimes that we have to have a disaster for people to help, but mm. we don't need a tragedy. Yeah. You can help, you know, you can be good and kind to people every day of the week. Mm. And, uh, you know, so we're glad that uh, that we've been able to tell our story mm. that was just done by ordinary people, yeah. doing a ordinary thing mm. and turned into something extra ordinary. Yeah. And we were talking before we started mm. recording about why you think the musicals resonated so much with people all across the world mm. in the last five years, and it's to do with the timing and what I was going so. on in the culture. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Today, it, uh, our world's in a mess. Mm. I mean, you know, news sometimes is the most depressing thing on TV mm. or anywhere. But, uh, you know, I think that the people are looking for something good. Mm. And I think that this come from a way musical is what people have now grabbed on mm. because it's a good news story yeah. and we need more of them. Yeah, mm. yeah. Seeing the power of kindness right. in action mm. like that. Um, yeah, something that people mm. have found, you know, it's really reinvigorated something inside them that was maybe... Um, withering um we have really enjoyed having you here um and as i said Lindsay and i are such such big fans of the musical all of our listeners are big fans of this wonderful story please send our love to everyone back home we certainly will um we have so much admiration for what they were able to do for those people such an admiration for the culture that you've put on display for the world um and we'd really encourage everyone Go and see. Absolutely. And then 
encourage people to go and see it, then you can draw your own conclusions mm-hmm. of what you think of it. But uh, look, come to Gander. You get come down. We'll show you what it's all about. Uh, you've got to take the same 15-hour flight that I got to take to get here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we welcome you to come and uh, show you the hospitality and the culture firsthand. And, so, you know. What's the best time of year to come? Well, for new, I would say anywhere between uh, June mm-hmm. and probably uh, mid-September mm-hmm. uh, because— our summers most times are very short, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, June, July, August, and September is usually pretty good weather. And you can get out around the coast. You might even see a iceberg. Mm-hmm. You can see go whale watching, and there's mm-hmm. so much, so many dinner theaters all over Newfoundland with Newfoundland culture and mm-hmm. that. So, yeah, you could uh, really enjoy it. So, okay. hey, please come and visit us. We'll see you then. Sure. Thank you so much. And thank you. All right. Um, so you're feeling good now. I'm feeling You've great. Got a nice glass of rosé. We're ready to jump into the story. Um, and as I'm sure you're aware, this week, 21 years ago, terrorists crashed two airplanes into the Twin Towers in New York City. We're a couple of days away from the anniversary of that. And that was a moment where the world saw one of the most extreme, most devastating examples of the human capacity for vicious, vicious cruelty. But then in the aftermath of those attacks, anyone who was paying attention got to see one of the very best examples of our capacity for kindness and generosity and compassion. Mm. When a tiny town in Canada took in 7,000 refugees from all around the world and the locals of that town put their lives on hold completely to make sure all 7,000 of those strangers were kept kept safe and comfortable and felt like family until they could get home to the families of their own. This is just the gist of Operation Yellow Ribbon. Are you very familiar with it, a little bit familiar with it, at all familiar with it? I am as close to have never heard of it as you possibly could be, I think. Like I I think my mum has tried to tell me about this story before, but I might Mm -hmm. have been distracted doing something else. I have no real idea as to what happened. But I'm I'm so excited that we're talking about something wholesome and lovely. Yes. <laughs> There's a little bit of a dark chapter at the beginning, but That's then okay. yeah, we get into a lot of loveliness. I'm the same as you, or I was a year ago. I had no idea this had happened. Never heard of it at all until I watched the musical Come From Away yeah. last September, which I believe you've not seen. No, well I think that's what it. my mum tried to do. I think she went and saw the musical, absolutely mm-hmm. adored it. Yes. came home and went, oh, I've got to tell you about it. And then maybe we got distracted or something, but I know she loved that musical so, so much. So, mm. and so many people have, right? Like it's a cultural phenomenon basically. Um, so It's impossible not to love. <gasps> Lindsay adores it. She says mm-hmm. it's one of her favourite shows she's ever seen. I have to agree with that. It's just brilliant. It is mandatory viewing. Everyone must, must, must go see it. In person, if you can, it is still touring um, or you can stream it on Apple TV as well, which is where I saw it for the first time. Oh, I need to do that. the online version is sensational. Well, Harley, it's in Melbourne at the moment. Okay, well, I need to go see it in the flesh then. I was going to (laughs) say, 
I'll buy you a ticket yeah, if need be. Screw Apple TV. Um, <laughs> it's there for the rest of September and then all of October, I think, and then it's heading back to Sydney. So a lot of you have the opportunity to go and see it. Travel interstate if you need to. The cast in the Australian production is phenomenal. But yeah, if you can't, the um, performance that they recorded and then put up on Apple TV for the 20th anniversary of 9-11 is sensational. Wow. You'll love it. Um, But yeah, after I watched it, I was sort of left wondering how close to fact the story was. Like Mm. I knew the show was based on a true story, but I was like, how real could this possibly be? Surely it's embellished. 50, maybe 40% of this has to be fictional. So the next day I went digging and watched a bunch of YouTube documentaries about the video, found out which characters were real people and which elements of the story were based on facts. Pretty much all of it is real. And then the more I dug, the more I read, I found out that the musical really only tells a fraction of the whole story as well. So there's so much more to it. And look, Whether you've seen Come From Away or not, I think you'll really enjoy hearing about the extraordinary things that happened in this tiny little town in Newfoundland, Canada, in the days following September 11th. So let's go. Oh my God, let's do it. I think we all know the essential basics of what we need to know about 9-11 for context here. It was a normal sunny Tuesday morning in New York City and the first plane hit the North Tower of the World Trade Centre at around 8.46am and the authorities didn't immediately know how to respond, whether this was an accident, whether it was intentional. But then it became pretty obvious to them when the second plane hit the South Tower and then a third plane crashed into the Pentagon that they needed to get all of the planes out of the sky Immediately, Three passenger planes had just been turned into weapons by hijackers and there were another 4,500 airplanes in the sky over North America, which could all potentially be weaponized. How terrifying. Mm. So, sensibly, the order was passed down. All US airspace was to be closed. Every aircraft that was up in the air had to land immediately at its nearest airport. No exceptions for anybody. Any aircraft that didn't comply with the orders of ground control was going to be treated as a threat and it was going to be shot out of the sky with missiles. Whoa. And... Intense, right? This was a protocol that had been designed 30 years earlier, but it had never been implemented, not even as a drill before. So a lot of the pilots were very confused, very unsure whether to believe this was real. It'd be like pandemonium. Everyone would be like, what is going on? Can you imagine being in one of those flight control spaces, all of a sudden having to get everyone safely out of the sky? It is remarkable that there were no collisions and no incidents that happened. Um, A few of the pilots, they couldn't quite comprehend what was going on. So Mm. they sort of tried to push back and get special consideration because they were flying private jets, PJs, and they had VIPs on board. So they thought they'd get a special set of rules, but they got a very rude shock when they were told they would be shot down if they didn't land immediately. I told you this was a light and enjoyable story. (laughs) 
Um, there was also a bit of a language barrier issue with some of the pilots. So there were a few near misses where planes were nearly shot out of the sky purely because the pilots and the ground staff had a bit of miscommunication. Oh, you're because kidding. Because they were struggling to overcome that language barrier. In case someone wasn't English, for, like, I don't know, that wasn't their first language or right. whatever. Oh, yep. my God, took a God, while to get the, the message across. Yeah, so very intense two hours in the States, but... Within 120 minutes, there were no planes in the sky over the United States for the first time in like a century since planes had been invented. Not one of them, thankfully, had to be shot down. There were also 240 planes that were flying over the Pacific and over the Atlantic oceans towards the USA, and they couldn't turn around and go back to Europe or Asia or wherever they'd come from. They only had enough fuel to keep going to North America. The USA obviously closed to them, so they all had to be redirected to airports in Canada. The Americans had basically just said, hey, Canada, can you take care of this for us, would you? Um, We think these planes could potentially be hijacked um, and are possible threats. If you could just look after that for us, that would be great. And of course, the notoriously polite, accommodating Canadians <laughs> we love were just them. like, walkie-dorkie. Of course they took one for the team. To of work. course yep. they did. Mm-hmm. This is what everyone loves you for, Canada, <laughs> all around the world. <laughs> Um, Their goal was to try to send as few planes as possible towards the big cities like Toronto and Vancouver. Ideally, they wanted to get them to remote airports because all planes were being treated as potential threats for obvious reasons. So 240 pilots from around the world were given their new destination, mostly in rural parts of Canada, and it was left up to them what, if anything to tell their passengers about what was going on. And understandably, a lot of those pilots were worried if they announced what was really happening and they did happen to have a terrorist on their plane, it might incite that terrorist to commence their hijacking, possibly detonate a bomb. So everyone, well, the vast majority, I'm guessing, of people on these flights had no idea where they were headed. Did they even know that they were being detoured? Did they even know that? Or did they think they were going to be landing in New York and actually walk outside and, hey, you're actually in Canada? Mm -hmm. It was a real mixed bag. So the minority of pilots were candid and told their passengers while they were still in the air what was going on. A lot of pilots decided, look, we'll wait until we're on the ground. And they told a little white lie, like we've had a medical emergency on Mm. board. We've got to make a quick stop or small technical issue. We're just going to have a quick little pop down to get something sorted out. Um, Or some of them just hoped no one would notice and didn't say anything at all. So yeah, for the vast majority of them, all of a sudden they found themselves on the tarmac in this remote part of Canada with no clue where they were or why until the information ended up being passed down to them. It's pretty wild that Canada had room for so many planes. Like, do we know how many planes got diverted there or... Uh, 240 in total that were coming from overseas. Yep. Plus they also had to land all their own domestic aircraft that were there as well because they decided to close their airspace sensibly. Um, I'll explain how they were able to accommodate so many of these planes, partly because they had these really big airports that were once upon a time very necessary, but were no longer in use so much. Mm. Um, And one of those airports was in a place called Gander in Newfoundland. 
And I got to remind myself it's Newfoundland. Rhymes with understand Newfoundland. Understand Newfoundland. <laughs> I'm very um, impressed by that pronunciation. I did not know that's how it was pronounced. There you go. We've all learned a little something already. <laughs> um, do you have access to the internet right now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Would you be able to Google Gander Newfoundland? Gander. And maybe just describe for us where it is on the map. Okay. So it's, I mean, I'm terrible at giving directions. That is probably my biggest weakness as a human being. <laughs> but it's like, so Newfoundland, is that how I said it? Did I say it okay? Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Understand. <laughs> Newfoundland uh, is like an island, right? Like it's, Yes. Yeah, it's an island. Yeah. And Gander is maybe halfway down the island near the coast on the like, mm. yeah. How'd it go? <laughs> like the very, very edge of North America on yeah. the eastern side is the most relevant sort of aspect. And yes, you're right. It is quite a remote island where you can imagine they get extreme weather. Um, it's not that but, far from Greenland. So I'm guessing it'd be quite cold. Oh, yes. The winter's there. Uh, not the sort of thing that I'm built for <laughs> at all. Yeah. I kind of think of it as a little bit like Tasmania. Okay. Um, so in terms of population size, Tassie and Newfoundland have like half a million people. Gorgeous landscapes, very, very scenic. Great for a quick visit. Definitely too chilly for me to even consider. Very <laughs> quiet. To. Yeah. Mm -mm. Um, used to be its own country, but it became a province of Canada like 70 years ago. They've got a very unique culture there. Um, mm -hmm. They refer to themselves as Newfies or Newfs <laughs> if they're locals who grew up there and they identify as a Newfie first and foremost and secondary to that, they're a Canadian. Right. And they've got quite a distinct accent. It's like this mashup of like an English West Country Cornish accent with Irish and they've got their own dialect and they've got their own 800 page dictionary. I love that. They're just doing their own thing. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so quaint. And this little town of Gander in particular, the only reason it exists is because of its airports, which is still to this day one of the biggest airports in the world. Random. Yeah. Well, it does make sense when you understand that they needed to have a big airport that was as close to Europe as uh, possible. Okay. So that's why they've built that in this remote outpost of North America. They built the airport and the town in the 1930s specifically for the army should they ever need those facilities and that came in very, very handy during World War II. All the planes would fuel up and head off from Gander to go over to Europe and do what they needed to do over there. And then after the war, during peacetime, it became a really vital refueling stop for any aircraft that were crossing over the Atlantic. It was called the biggest petrol station <laughs> in the world because that's essentially what it was there for. It's not a very hot thing for your like area to be known for. <laughs> <laughs> Not super sexy. They weren't no. a very big tourist destination. Um, yeah, and the 10,000 people that lived in Gander lived there mostly just to service that airport, right. which was really important. But then 
Gander's heyday sort of ended when jumbo jets came along and they could fly really long distances, Mm. they didn't need to stop and refuel. So there'd been all these discussions about decommissioning sections or maybe even all of the Gander airport, which would potentially lead to the death of the town Mm. because that airport was really expensive to maintain. It wasn't really necessary anymore, but oh, how glad they were on September 11th, 2001, that they hadn't gone ahead and demolished that airport because they needed a place where they could land a bunch of these planes. So 38 aircraft landed very safely in Gander. There were only a few near misses in the sky and then it was sort of like, all right, now what? 38 planes. mm -hmm, Parked nose to tail, as close as they could possibly get to each other, just waiting for further instructions. Was Gander the only place in Newfoundland that had an airport? No, they. I think it was across like 17 different airports. They were um, landing planes. Gander took the second largest amount of airplanes um, and second largest amount of refugees and ultimately so as well. They've ended up with these plane loads of people mm-hmm. with just the luggage they have with them. What do they they, do with all the people? (laughs) So at first, they hadn't been thinking that far ahead. It was really just a matter of get the planes out of the sky safely, make sure we're eliminating the threat that all those planes can potentially pose. And the official instructions were just everyone wait in your planes on the runway. Once US airspace is reopened, you'll be able to take off again and head off to your destination. Right. They were naively optimistic when they predicted that that would only take a few hours and then everyone would be able to get back in the sky safely. Yeah, but (laughs) anyone who'd been able to really comprehend, compute what had just happened in the States could tell things weren't going back to normal in just a matter of hours. These plane people were probably going to have to disembark and so it was the newfies in Gander that started to think ahead a few steps and consider the challenge that they were likely about to face, they figured there was probably somewhere between 6,000 and 12,000 people (gasps) on those planes. So their little town's population was about to double with absolutely no warning. And all these people (laughs) were going to need shelter and food and flushable toilets and clothing, toiletries, everything. And the mayor of Gander really didn't want to be caught out on the back foot. So he got his people to start preparing for the obvious, inevitable, and step one was making thousands of sandwiches. For the oh my God. On planes. You know what? You need someone like that to step in mm-hmm. at a time like this. I'm not very good in a crisis. I don't know about you both, but I'm probably <laughs> not the person you want around. I think I go into shutdown mode where I haven't processed much yet, but then all of my siblings are the kinds of people who would whip out the sandwich, I don't know, the mm-hmm. bread and the mayonnaise and all that stuff and be the ones making it. What a legend to think, you know what, we're going to need to feed them. Let's get to it. Yeah, absolutely. And he knew exactly the right people to call who were then going to start up a phone tree and then they'd spread the word. So then pretty soon the entire town was starting to prepare food for the people they knew they were going to have to start feeding pretty soon. It's big country vibes, isn't it? Country people are the best at this kind of stuff. Yeah, this small town community where everyone knows everyone and, you know, they all know they can rely on each other. Yeah. 
So they got to work with that. Meanwhile, the people on the planes, they were experiencing all the emotions. Uh, They're sitting there in the plane on the ground. The captains had, you know, shared as much information with them as they could. Um, They were all going through this mix of denial and grief and confusion and obviously anxiety. A lot of them were really fearful that their own plane might have been a target and there could be a terrorist hijacker potentially sitting next to them on the plane. They were all deathly afraid that a bomb could go off on the plane at any given moment or even just on the plane that, you know, they could see a couple of metres away from them. Very tense situation, understandably. All the drinks carts were emptied fairly quickly. (laughs) And no one has mobile phones. It's 2001. So Mm -hmm. you would think, oh, okay, well, you land, you can contact your family, you can get on to people, which would be Mm -hmm. what I would want to do and I'm guessing what you two would want to do straight away, contact Mm -hmm. your loved ones and fill them in. It's 2001. Not many people, did anyone own mobile phones really back then? Hardly anyone on the planes had phones. (gasps) For a lot of people, they couldn't get reception because such a remote area. Um, And for the few people who could get reception, it really was only for phone calls. There definitely wasn't a smartphone um, capacity to be able to There's no iPhone 14 floating around. As well. (laughs) They were just sort of there with the people surrounding them in these (gasps) metal tubes that for the first 10 hours... They just had to stay in. No one was allowed to disembark for the first 10 hours. Its own kind of torture, especially if you were on one of the planes that had already been flying for like 10 or more hours. It wouldn't smell great, would it? Before they even landed. Oh, no. No, no. There was an emergency situation (laughs) dealing with um, emptying some of the toilets. The toilet. Mm. What do you do? Yeah. I mean, it is kind of like the least of their concerns when they're literally dealing with the gravity of the situation they are, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. help, does it? No, and, you know, they really, really, really wanted to get off that plane, or at least most of them did. And the pilots and the flight crews, the ground crew, they were doing everything they could to try to keep the passengers calm and comfortable. But do you want to have a guess what Mm. the most urgent comfort they needed to provide was? Ooh, Mm. the most urgent comfort. (laughs) Oh, would it just be like, I don't know, Prosecco or something like that? <laughs> Alcohol. They had the Prosecco sorted. Um, yeah, the drinks carts were rolled out, plus a lot of people had stopped off at Duty Free, so they had their own <laughs> bottles of Grey Goose that they could crack into. Um, no, the most pressing thing they needed to sort out was getting all the smokers, some oh, lady of nicotine. Yeah. You like, can't keep worrying about that no cigarette light mm-mm. in the plane when you're on there for like 20 hours. And so yeah. many people smoked back in the early noughties as well. Absolutely, yes. Every plane had smokers on board who were experiencing withdrawals, oh. um, hadn't prepared to be without cigarettes didn't or Didn't have a nicorette patch long. or whatever it's called, yep. That's right. Vapes <laughs> didn't exist back then. <laughs> Plus they're going through all this intense stress and they were starting to get a bit frantic. Yeah. So, A couple of the pilots were like, screw it, open a door, just let them bang a dart and then close it again. (laughs) It's fine. But the rest of them stuck to the rules. So they ended up with these really antsy passengers that were just gagging for a fix. So one of their top priorities was calling up the local pharmacist and getting him to bring all the nicotine gum and patches (sighs) he had, which then the Royal Canadian Mounted Police went and distributed to each of the planes to be passed out to all the smokers just to calm them down. You can tell them a chronic 
asthmatic, that would have never crossed my mind yeah. that the smokers yeah. on board would have. Yeah, but of course, you've got an addiction. You're not going to be able to just go cold turkey without having like a mood swing or two. Yeah, I imagine they were like scratching their skin yeah. off and climbing the walls of the plane. Like they would have posed a pretty intense problem, I would say. Especially in like a, as you said, like a metal tube. It's not really where you want a bunch of really grumpy smokers yes. <laughs> just desperate to get a cig. Yeah. Um, anyway, once they were all sated, um, then they were able to start distributing the sandwiches the locals had made for all the plain people, as well as things like pads and tampons, toilet paper, nappies for the babies on board. Like the locals had started coming to the airport with things they thought the folks on the plane were going to need, and they'd just taken the initiative to bring it down individually, which is pretty incredible. I don't know that my brain would necessarily go to that in a situation like this, especially because those planes were considered to be possible threats. Now, finally, the powers that be gave the word that everyone was allowed off their planes and into Canada. They could take their carry-on luggage, but all their checked luggage had to stay on the plane. Mm. And for most people... Huge relief to know that at the very least they'd be able to get out and stretch their legs, fresh breathe air. some fresh air, yeah. bang a proper dart. <laughs> Smoke a durry, yep. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people were also very nervous because they just had no concept of where they were or what to expect when they got outside. And Was it only like came at this point? It took such a long time that some people were disembarking during the day and some were disembarking during the night time. Some of those planes were on the tarmac for 26, 27 hours before people oh were allowed my God. to get off. And then you add the flight time on top of that as well. The This is a good lesson for me to start thinking more about my carry-on luggage yeah. and what I'm putting <laughs> in there because normally it's not very much stuff. Like I would mm-hmm. not be able to survive on what's in. Like I need to start putting like undies in my carry-on luggage. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are really going to uh, leave this podcast reevaluating what you take Travel. with you in terms of essentials oh. into the cabin. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. So they're off the plane. They're getting fresh air. They yep. have their carry-on luggage. That's right. And there are six thousand seven hundred of them, <laughs> oh my passengers God. and crew. And yeah, because each one of them had to be really thoroughly processed, that took hours and hours. They were making sure no one was a terrorist. They went through everyone's items very, very closely. Um, And so, yeah, it was close to 30 hours by the time they'd finished processing all of those people. Everyone was sore, everyone was tired and stressed and anxious, but no matter what time of day or night it was, they were disembarking. They were greeted by these cheerful groups of local volunteers who had these warm smiles and they gave every person an individual care package with food and toiletries that had all been donated by the local newfies, asked if there was anything specific that they needed. Everyone got like individual surf the service from these people who just come down there to spend their time making everyone feel welcome and safe and at home. And, I mean, the plain people had no idea yet, but truly everyone in Ganda and the little towns surrounding Ganda had dropped everything. They'd all agreed to just put their lives on hold, cancel school, cancel sporting events, cancel all social activities. Everything was put on pause for the foreseeable future because it was now their full-time round-the-clock job to go out of their way to make sure these plain people not only felt safe, but they felt welcome and that they felt like there was the possibility they might be able to find some shred of joy in Gander. 
They didn't know how long these plain people were going to be there, but the Gander Newfies were absolutely going to make sure everyone felt like they were family for as long as they were in town. I need to go to Gander. What the hell? It's a pretty remarkable place. Like, they call it the capital of kindness. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Like, you can imagine how disarming it was for all the people when they arrived there and they were greeted with all this overflow of generosity from strangers who, if anything, you'd expect them to be wary of you. Yes. To be, you know... You could pose a security threat. The whole world was changing. Like, Mm -hmm. everyone was pointing fingers at everyone around this time and, like, just paranoia was running rampant to think that they didn't even for a second feel that paranoia. Maybe you're going to mm-hmm. tell me that they did. I don't know. Maybe the story no. will change. But no. the fact that no one felt that and instead just welcomed all these strangers with open mm-hmm. arms instead is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Especially when you think about, you know, these are people from a hundred different countries around the world, all sorts of different cultures. Mm. They spoke 90 different languages and, you know, there were some quite sort of complex needs that certain people had as well. Like there was a group of Orthodox Jews who needed um, their sort of religious requirements to be met in terms of kosher food and observing the Sabbath and that sort of thing. And the Gander folks went out of their way to make sure everyone had exactly what they needed, whether they were an individual, a family, um, you know, someone who was incredibly wealthy, someone who was really poorly off. And for the next five days, all 10,000 of those new fees just dedicated themselves completely to these plain people and wouldn't accept any form of payment. They gave away everything for free. Of course, most of the plain people were trying to pay them back Mm. in some way and they wouldn't accept any of it. Because they just kept telling everyone, you would do the same for me. I feel, you know, grateful that I get the opportunity to do this for you. That's the culture they have there in Gander. And that's what blew people away. And you can see why that would then go on to inspire a musical down the track. For sure. Mm. Um, Also, I could spend hours describing these examples and I'll probably get emotional if I go into too much detail as well, so I'll just skim over it. Um, But one of the first things that people mention in this story is the fact that all the bus drivers in Newfoundland were on strike, but they they put that strike on hold and volunteered to spend the next few days around the clock ferrying people wherever they needed to go. I didn't even think about that. You've got like Mm. 6,000 people. How are you getting them from A to B? Exactly. Okay, legends, bus drivers, love that from them. (laughs) They stepped up. Um, And then the other big thing that the plain people bring up is all the food they were provided. There were volunteers cooking meals literally 24 hours a day in kitchens across the city, preparing, in the end, more than 80,000 meals for these guests. They'd ordered in a bunch of extra food to be sent from around the province by truck and then the only place that they could keep that food chilled was on the ice hockey rink. Oh, my God. So <laughs> the ice hockey arena into the world's biggest This is so Canadian. Fridge. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's also where they do the curling tournaments. Of course they do. Mm -hmm. Smart use. People were really using their brains though. Like people whipped themselves into action quick smart. I love Mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Considering they'd never been in a situation anything no. like this, they came up with the best solutions. Are you guys good in a crisis? <sighs> I like to think of myself as being good in a crisis. 
I think I, if you I, are I, one, I think if you think you are, you are. Yeah. You I know if you're vi- not. <laughs> <laughs> I have this vision of myself of things going wrong and jumping into action. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would confidently say, yes, I would be good in a crisis. Nice. I'm good in a crisis when I don't just go into denial mode. Mm. So there's like two settings with me when <laughs> things go wrong. And one of those settings is the worst possible setting where you just go la, 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 oh, la, yeah. la. Oh, Head in the sand. Ignore. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I, yeah, take the ostrich approach, that's not so great. But um, <laughs> yeah, if I do tackle it head on, then, you know, I can do an all right job, I guess. I think I'm very, very helpful. I'm just mm-hmm. not the leader. I need someone else to be like, we're putting all the stuff in the ice hockey rink. And then I'm like, I will do it until you tell me to stop. Like I'm mm-hmm. here. But I, mm-hmm. my brain in moments like this shuts down. Like yeah. there's no proper thoughts happening, but I will, I want to be as helpful as possible. I just cannot think to save myself. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit like that as well <laughs> from time to time. And I do need someone to be a longer term thinker than I yeah. am because I'll usually be just about putting out the fire that's in front of me right yes. now and not thinking about the one that's raging Absolutely. 10 metres over there that's continuing to get worse. Um, and also, I just don't think I would think about some of the needs that people have that I don't need myself, mm. you know, mm. like the tampons and the pads. So Might fair take enough. Me a while to think of that. No, you know what? I had forgotten about that until you mentioned it. No, mm. that's fair enough. I think there'd be lots of things, lots of blind spots, like babies. Yeah. Babies require, mm-hmm. my sister leaves the house with her six-month-old and she requires mm-hmm. basically a whole truckload of stuff just to keep the six-month-old <laughs> yeah. alive for two hours. Right? So. Mm. Uh, there would just be like nappy rash cream and all the stuff that you wouldn't think if it's not your lived experience. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, luckily in this case in particular, they had like 10,000 people who were ready to, you know, ready think up what someone else might need. Yeah. Um, when it came to bedding, they filled up all the schools, the churches, the meeting halls, but mm. then all the locals who had spare beds and couches went to those schools and meeting halls and just invited randoms to come and stay with them oh, if they wanted beautiful. a quieter, more comfortable space. So a lot of people ended up being billeted out to stay with the locals who ended up becoming some of their best friends oh, that ever made it. in their lives. Yeah, Gorgeous. Um, One of my favourite stories from the book is of one of the men who'd been volunteering and he'd been working around the clock like 30 hours or something and he finally went home and it was late at night and he didn't want to wake his wife up. So he decided to sleep in the spare room and he stripped down completely naked, crawled into bed and there was a strange woman in her 80s already in bed. Sound asleep, uh, thankfully. So he managed to get out of the bed, get dressed, <laughs> go wake his wife up and say, Who is that Who's lady? That <laughs> <laughs> I almost accosted. What a queen, though, that mood. wife just being like, Yes, this elderly woman's living with us and I will not bother to tell my husband. I love that from her. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it comes down to the lack of mobile phones. Yes, you know, there's no the comms. Fact they were able to communicate as well as they did without phones is wild. And even though if they couldn't provide bedding for people, they would just go around telling plain people what their address was, told them the door was unlocked and they were welcome to pop over and have a shower, watch TV, make phone calls, do whatever they needed to do, just make use of my house. And like we said, this was so surprising and 
almost alarming that these people were willing to be so trusting, especially to someone who'd come from a really big city Mm. and they'd sort of grown up in a culture where it was like, trust no one. Mm. They were almost wary, like, is this some sort of scam? (laughs) If I go into that house, am I ever going to come out Are they going to kidnap me? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, am I in a fever dream almost? It's it's an interesting one. Yeah. Would Mm. you be cynical if you were met with this just like complete, pure compassion from mm. people who have no real incentive to show you to show you compassion other than just to be good yeah. humans. I also love, as an aside, that they're literally being called the plane people. Every time you say yeah. it, my brain needs a second to catch up to be like, oh, right, the people from the planes. But they literally just refer to as plane people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because they sort of bundled in the flight crew with the passengers. Ah, uh, yes, and, the plane know, people. The plane people. I love that. By the way, they don't like when people do their accent poorly, so I'm not even going to try. Oh, but that's it's a really enough. cute accent and um, <laughs> yeah, you'll get to see some of the videos in the links I'm going to post and you'll hear the accent <laughs> yourself. It is adorable. Um, the pharmacists in the town knew that surely there were going to be a lot of people who were on some sort of medication and mm. they'd probably left those meds in their checked luggage. So these three pharmacists spent 42 hours straight with only a tiny amount of sleep each, calling different doctors all around the world to get the prescription details for a thousand of the plain people to make sure they were giving them the correct dose of the medicine they needed. Yeah, I did my asthma meds. For free? For free, yes. They refused to accept any money. They put in all that work, went to all that effort to make sure that people were getting the right dose of the right medication as quickly as possible. Is this like a really wealthy town or are they just super generous and decide to go without so that other people go with? That's right, yeah. Wow. Super, super generous, yep. Super generous because I would not be able to, I would really struggle if it was me. I would need my asthma meds within like Mm. 12 hours, 24 hours. So the fact they swung into action like that. Yeah, and like you might know what the dose is that you have to take, but a lot of people have no idea (laughs) what pills they're popping. No. Um, And so these pharmacists, to make sure that they were doing the right thing, had to call all those doctors from all around the world, overcome the language barrier again and again and again to find out what each of these 1,000 plain people needed. And And also with time zones as well. Time zones, language barrier, like technological barrier. I don't know how it was connecting international phone calls back then, but I'm imagining Mm. that sometimes it had, I don't know, it's hurdles. Yeah. Yeah. How do you? How are you a pharmacist in Newfoundland, and you track down Terry White in Erskineville <laughs> yeah. to say like, what's Barbara's chemist warehouse in Carnegie? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you are relying on all those people knowing the details of their own doctor. Yeah. Everyone would have had address books, them. right? Like, Probably. like an address book or something like that. Mm. Mm, you would need to. Yeah, and look, they turned into detective pharmacists <laughs> for the space of a few days and then they could finally sleep after 42 hours oh once God. they'd finished and then they woke up and went and worked in a kitchen somewhere. <sighs> and then there were these two women who worked for an animal shelter and they were the ones who clicked. There are probably animals on those planes oh, yeah. as well. So they oh went down God. to the airport, spoke to the ground crew and said, can you please let us go in and search through all the luggage holds and see if there are pets on board? Oh, and sure enough... Dogs. Dozens of them. Oh. 
dogs and cats. Oh that, my you know, god! At first, they were told you have to leave them on the plane. So for no. the first couple of days, these women were spending all night, all day inside the hulls of these planes, cleaning out the cages, yeah. making sure the animals were fed, giving them affection, so they weren't in a state of panic. They would have been beside themselves. Yep. Um, oh. Eventually, they were given permission to take the animals out and put them in a hangar. Um, so they could keep them safe yeah. in one location. But those women didn't sleep the entire time as well, just making sure these animals were taken care of. Oh, they might be and my favourite yet. <laughs> yeah. They also got the opportunity to help out the um, handler who was travelling with two bonobo apes. Oh, my God. You know, bonobos, they're like yes. chimpanzees, pygmy chimps. Um, yeah, they were on their way to a new home at a zoo in the States um, and Luckily, they had their handler there with them (laughs) and these two animal shelter women were able to help out with looking after those two very rare endangered apes. Life Um, life is weird. That is not something you would expect, that there were just two chimps in the middle of everything else that you need to take care of. Yeah, that was a big surprise. Big spanner. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Crawled into the hull of one of the planes. (laughs) What do you know? (laughs) Um, the shops in town stayed open 24 hours a day just in case anyone needed anything at all and they wouldn't accept payment from any of the plane <laughs> people for any items they needed. They didn't want to feel like they were profiting from these people landing in their town. Um, so they just wouldn't accept a thing. And also, I just realised none of these people have Canadian currency to pay anyway. No. Oh, good point. Yeah. Good point. I feel like we all need to start a GoFundMe for this yeah. town and pay them back. They've ended up doing okay. Okay. Because, yeah, they did get, in the end, a fair bit of publicity, even though people like you and me hadn't heard of this story. Yeah. A lot of people have. Um, the Newfies also found out that a bunch of the kids on the planes, they were headed to Disneyland for their birthdays. Oh. And so they went to the effort of organising this big festival-style party for no. thousands of them to come along to to celebrate <laughs> these kids' birthdays. And they surprised all the kids that had been on the planes with this huge shipment of toys that they got trucked in Oh, to my Gander God. It keeps well. getting better. I know. And these are just some examples. You need to read the book. I will be um, reading the book. To really get a comprehensive (laughs) overview of, yeah, the amount of above and beyond things these people did. I was about to say, going above and beyond was once my KPI at work. I feel like they have (laughs) smashed that KPI out of the park. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yes. They will be getting their bonus this quarter. Uh Uh-huh. Um, yeah, you, you'll read all about them. The book's called The Day the World Came to Town. We'll put a link in the show notes. You see a few of them in the musical as well. And yeah, I'll pop links to videos um, where you can see some of the plain people describing the generosity they were shown as individuals and as a group. Um, and then, as you can imagine, it was quite bittersweet when it was time for the plain people to go. Uh, US airspace opened up on the 13th of September and slowly the planes took the plane people away Mm. over the course of the next three days. And in that really short amount of time, for some people it was three days, some four, some five, all those people from all around the world had bonded really, really closely with the Newfies and they were all really sad at the thought that they might not get to see each other 
ever again. Um, And the mayor of the town really put it best. He said, on the Tuesday, we welcomed 7,000 strangers. By the Wednesday, we had 7,000 new friends. (gasps) And when they left, we had to say goodbye to 7,000 family members. No. That's closely. This mayor is very good. (laughs) He's got a good way with words. And um, yeah, he's good in a crisis as well. They chose the right person to elect as their leader. But it wasn't goodbye. Um, part of the way that all the plain people from all around the world were able to stay connected to Gander was through a scholarship fund they set up. So even though the locals wouldn't accept any money directly, they were happy for the plain people to set up a fund to help their kids go to college down the track Aww. in the future. Um, within the space of a few years, that fund was worth well over a million dollars. Um, and good. they're doing a really great job of helping to make sure these kids maintain a really great education. And if we flash forward to the 10th anniversary, so 2011, hundreds of the plain people returned to Gander for a reunion. For some, oh. it was the first time. Some of them had been coming back every single year. And a couple of riders from elsewhere in Canada came along to that event so they could interview the local and the visitors. And after a few days of some very long um, emotional conversations, they were like, this has all the ingredients to be a great musical. This is content. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so they started writing Come From Away. And when they told the locals in Gander what they were working on, the locals were like, you're making a show about people who made sandwiches for strangers. <laughs> And you think anyone's going to want to watch that? Like, they just didn't get it. They didn't see what they did as extraordinary. But then six years later, they sort of got to see for themselves that these writers were on to something. They had done something special and they got to see their actions through the eyes of other people. Um, and they got to see it at their very own special preview show of the musical of Come From they Away did. there in Gander. Did the mayor host it? <laughs> he did, yes. Oh, stop. Mm-hmm. I love um, it. They brought the New York cast up to Gander and they put on the performance on the ice rink that had briefly oh, been a fridge. Stop. And all the locals got to meet the actors and singers that were going to be playing them on stage. So you can imagine how emotional that was. That was fantastic. And then the show opened on Broadway in 2017. It was a hit from day one, Mm. won a bunch of awards and quickly became one of the most successful shows in history. And have I mentioned you should go see it? You really should go see it. Um, like I said, Melbourne, September, October, Sydney, November, December, January, and then next year it's going around New Zealand. I know it's popping to Canberra. Yeah. If you get the chance to see it, by all means do. And know that all of those characters are real, including, and I thought this one had to be made up, there are these two characters who meet. One of them is a British chap. The other's a Texan lady. They met on their flight. They spent most of their four days in Gander together. Oh, they fell, they in, fell love. in love. <laughs> this is they what that was the last thing the story needed. <laughs> a romance a story. Yep. Oh, they fell in they, love. Did they stay together? Yeah, yeah. They had their first kiss on the did. bus back to the airport when they were leaving. And then they tried at long distance. That wasn't working. So he decided to move to Texas. They got married and went back to Gander for their honeymoon. Bravo. Oh. <laughs> Bravo. Mwah. That is 
literally the cherry on top of what is a beautiful Sunday. When you mm-hmm. mentioned that the the locals were kind of maybe confused or not quite sure how this was going to make a good play or good content or whatever, I can understand that because I feel mm. like so rarely we hear wholesome, pure, good stories about people mm. doing great things. So often we hear about like negative stories and bitchiness or like, I don't know, tension or people behaving badly or whatever. It is so lovely that something that's based on human kindness and generosity has gone so Mm -hmm. successfully and just been like a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people have written commentary pieces about the fact they think it was so successful because it came along just as, you know, Trump was enforcing, you know, travel bans and talking about building a wall Mm. and Brexit happened and there was this real sort of sense of segregation. It was a terrible time. Right? It was awful. Um, Not over. No. And, yeah, this musical came along and sort of reminded people that the exact opposite is possible and, you know, that can be the cultural norm like it is in this little town where it's all about embracing people and offering help selflessly. Um, So, yeah, you can sort of take that kind of cerebral approach. It is also just a beautiful story with amazing songs and you will leave having cried, you will have laughed and you will just want to see it again, I promise you. Um, One of the characters they didn't put in there, because obviously, you know, you're talking about 17,000 people oh, were yeah. involved you've got in to this stop story. somewhere yeah <laughs> one of the stories that I actually found most beautiful that I was telling Lindsay about before was the chairman of Hugo Boss International was one of the plain people oh like there were some pretty high flyers sitting in first class in some right. of these planes in fact Woody Harrelson's partner and his two kids were in first class oh my on one of God. the flights and they ended up in Gander they had nothing but wonderful things to say about all the people but the chairman of Hugo Boss um once he got in touch with the people from his company, they were saying, what do you need? And he kept telling them, look, I don't need anything. I'm absolutely fine. They're Mm. taking really, really good care of us until he'd had to go to Walmart to pick up a (laughs) pair of undies for himself. And this is a man who's used to wearing, you know, couture. He expects a certain standard of things, yes. Uh And he tried out the Walmart undies and they were driving him (laughs) nuts. So Uh then he did call up his people and said, there's only one thing I want or need. Could you please try to get me some Hugo Boss jocks? I don't blame him. And his PA called around, found a retailer in Newfoundland who was a six-hour drive away and asked him (laughs) if he'd be willing to drive some undies up to the chairman of the company. And that guy jumped at the opportunity to impress his boss's 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 boss. And when he showed up, not only did he have the undies, but he had a whole bunch of other items, including expensive wines and cheeses (laughs) and luxury cosmetics, all that sort of stuff to give to (laughs) the chairman guy. And he said... Thank you very much. I don't need any of that. They're taking such good care of us here and I don't want any sort of special treatment. They're giving us absolutely everything we need and I would feel really wrong. It would feel insulting if I were to walk in there with something else that I'd had delivered special. Oh, I love that. I'm no different from anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And then when the time came that 
US airspace was open, the company was really eager to get him to New York as quickly as possible. So they wanted to send a PJ to Mm -hmm. pick him up. And he said, no, absolutely not. I will wait until my plane leaves and I will go with the rest of the passengers. I don't want any sort of special treatment. We are all in this together. So it really was this great equalizing sort of experience. You don't really hear about that much from super rich people. So it's refreshing when you do hear it. That's lovely. Um, So, yeah, that's one of the examples that's in the book. I mentioned the day the world came to town, 9-11 in Gander, Newfoundland. It's only six hours if you listen to it on audiobook. Easy. Um, And you'll enjoy all of it. Um, There's a really good documentary as well called uh, You Are Here, and that takes a lot of the plain people back to Gander and they take you on a bit of a tour while they tell the story. Um, That's fantastic. And then there's also a really good documentary I watched where they just focus for an hour on the people in the flight control centre at Gander who had to make sure those planes landed safely. Um, And, you know, stuff that they'd never had to work through before that they were sort of blindly guessing at, like, how much fuel do we need you to dump so that your plane's not too heavy when it lands on the runway and your brakes work effectively. And, like, it is intense to watch. It is very, very impressive. So I'll pop that link in the show notes as well. So if you want more than the gist, there is plenty for you to dive into. But that was just the gist of Operation Yellow Ribbon in Gander. Jacob, Lindsay... That is the best story ever. Isn't it? <laughs> You've made my whole year. That is beautiful. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. And yeah, I'd really recommend diving a little bit further into yeah. it and getting to see these people, hear them speak, hear them tell their stories themselves. So oh. yeah, I'll pull together a lengthy list yeah. of, um, of links. Please do. Thank you so much for coming on board. Really enjoyed having you, of course. Don't you, thank we me. Would. Glad we got the opportunity. Um, and so... <laughs> Where can people find you if they're not already following you? Uh, Look, I am around in the podcast scene. So just Mm -hmm. on your podcast app, have a bit of a search for Shameless and Mm -hmm. Shameless Media. We also actually have a podcast uh, called Everybody Has a Secret, which is Mm. coming out. We're dropping season two very soon where our listeners anonymously share the stories that they've never told anyone, the secrets Mm -hmm. that they've always kept hidden from their loved ones, but that they need to get off their chest and then mm-hmm. our hosts unpack it. And that's, it's such a passion project of mine. I absolutely love working on that. So if you love a bit of goss, mm-hmm. which I know the listeners will, yeah, check out Everybody Is a Secret as well, which we work mm-hmm. on behind the scenes. You won't hear my voice, but I'm there in the background. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And that's hosted by your producer, Annabelle, Annabelle Lee. Annabelle Lee. Yes. You've done your research. I love it. Oh, I've listened. Yes. <laughs> Great. Anything else you want to tell us about before you head off? I'm very grateful for you both having me on. You're an absolute delight and what a story. We'd love to have you back and, um, yeah. Have me back. I would love to come back. I might never leave. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make it happen. All right. Thank you so much, honey. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Bye. See ya. Listener.